truth is, people are fickle, aren't we? Pretty much. People are, are fickle, but God is not. And before we get into the, the, the sort of this little section of Scripture, which is from, from Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 to 11, I want to just put a foundational thing in place as then we begin to explore God's Word. Now, Paul is bursting with confidence. He knows, he knows that the growth of the Philippian Christian doesn't depend on their own determination, but on the grace of God. And I hope we understand this. I really hope we can get this. If you're a Christian today, it's because God has done a deep work within your heart. And you can be absolutely 100% sure that he will finish the work that he has begun. John chapter 10, verse 27 to 29. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. And I will give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them to me is greater than all, and no man will be able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Listen, God will never, He will never give up on you. You get that? He is never, never going to give up on you. And even though you think, you know what, I'm not really a great Christian, or my prayer life it's not what it ought to be. Or, or this week, I, I've just really disappointed Jesus this week in some way. Or perhaps even you're thinking, you know what? I, I don't know if I can keep doing this. If I can even keep going on. Listen, it doesn't change the fact that God will never give up on you. You are incredibly valuable to God. You're incredibly valuable to him. Do you know how valuable you are? He sent his son Jesus to shed his blood, to give his very life for you. That's how valuable you are to God. That's the foundation in which we, everything we will say for the rest of the morning will be built upon. Now, last week we started and introduced the, this book and we explained that despite the difficult circumstances as a prisoner in Rome, Paul, he's able to rejoice. And one of the secrets to that joy is this single mind. He lived for Christ and for the gospel. Listen, to be single-minded is to have this attitude that says, it makes no difference what happens to me just as long as Jesus Christ is glorified and the gospel is shared with others. And Paul is able to rejoice because his circumstances actually strengthen his fellowship with others in the gospel. And one of the sources of Christian joy is this fellowship that believers have in the Lord Jesus Christ. It transcends distance. It transcends time. It transcends ethnicity. Them all. You know, it's, it's amazing. You can travel to the furthest corner of the world, and you can meet people for the first time who follow Jesus, and there's a connection. True? You don't it? It's just amazing because we are centered in and on the gospel 
So this morning we want to look at this idea of Christian fellowship. That's what Paul's dealing with in these, in verses 3 to 11. And he says in three ways what Christian fellowship should look like. Firstly, he says, I have you on my mind. He then he says, he goes deeper, I have you in my heart. And thirdly, I have you in my prayers. So we'll start with, I have you in my mind, verse 3 to 6. It's actually quite remarkable that Paul is even thinking of anybody else at all rather than himself. He's in a pretty difficult situation. He's waiting for a trial in Rome, but he's thinking about the Philippians. And what he remembers about them brings him real joy. Now, it's worth mentioning that the time he spent in Philippa wasn't that great, to be honest. You can get the full story in Acts chapter 16, but here are the highlights. Okay, He was illegally arrested and beaten. He was placed in stocks. He was humiliated before the people. Not much joy in most of those things. But even those memories, they brought him a great deal of joy because actually it was because he was a prisoner, because he was put into prison, he is able to, to speak to the jailer that a jailer comes to find Jesus. Real joy. He also probably remembers the lady called Lydia and her family. Also this poor slave girl who was set free from demonic possessions and many other Christians in Philippa. And each memory was a source of joy. And Paul talks about them in verse 6 and he describes these things that they are doing as good works. Now, again, it's worth just stepping back, and I hope you know the fact that you are not saved by your good works. Ephesians 2, in fact, written by Paul as well, says, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So what's Paul talking about here, and if he's referring to good works, but I think it is to do with, with salvation, but it's God's good works in and through us. Not our works, but God's works. And salvation involves the work of God within our lives. Number of issues to that, a number of them, of, of processes in this, it's the work of God for you in saving you, in calling you, but in saving you. It's the work of God in you in this process what we call sanctification as we grow in Christ as we as we mature in the knowledge of Christ but it's also the work of the God through you in your service in your ministry for God but please note at every single step every single stage of the way this is God's work not yours God's working. God at work in your life. And when God works in someone's heart through the gospel, actually there will start to be some sort of outward change. There should be signs of what's going on. Again, worth noting that these signs are not what makes someone a Christian, but these signs show that God is at work in you, in us. Not because of duty, not because we have to, but because of a heartfelt attitude for all that Jesus Christ has done for each one of us. So one of those signs is this idea of fellowship and love for other Christians. Another sign is the desire to tell other people about Jesus. But actually, even the fact that we're able to keep going through 
difficult and challenging situations is a third. And the Philippians showed all three of these markers of genuine work of God within their life. And because of this, Paul is bubbling with joy. He is bubbling over with joy and love for them, even though he is in chains. So for Paul, the source of his joy doesn't come from his circumstances, but comes from remembering them and knowing that God is at work in the lives of his fellow Christians over in Philippi. And it's so important that we just very simply allow God to work in our lives day by day. This is the basis for joyful Christian fellowship. But you know what so easily happens? We allow little issues to get in. We allow upset to come into our lives. We allow friction to begin in our lives. I'm just going to get a couple of, of blocks. I came up with these little things from the kids' room, but we often behave a little bit like two blocks of wood, or in this case, a waffle and a bit of toast. <laughs> and what happens if, you, if one is stationary and the other one moves? What do you get? Friction. If both are moving in opposite directions, even more friction. But listen, if both are moving together in the one direction, no friction. And Christian fellowship is us moving together in Christ, heading towards Jesus Christ, keeping our eyes on him, being gospel-centered in everything that we do. Listen, this will solve a lot of tensions It will reduce friction down to a minimum if our focus is on Jesus, if we're moving towards him, if we're all going in the one direction. And Paul says, I have you. I have you on my mind. I'm remembering that we're moving together. We're moving together towards Jesus Christ. The second thing he says, I have you in my heart. And with this, Paul goes goes deeper. It was possible that we have people on our minds, but but not really on our hearts. But love is the evidence of salvation. That's what the Bible says. 1 Peter 3, verse 14. We know we have passed from death to life. We've become Christians from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. How do you know if you are a true Christian? You should be loving people. That's what the Bible says. There should be exhibited in how we behave and how we interact with one another. In fact, um, Paul's love is not just something that he merely talks about. It's something that he, he lives out. He puts into practice. So says, Paul is willing to suffer for the sake of others. He's willing to give up everything for this. The fact that he's even in this, in this jail, in this prison at this particular time is because he's willing to suffer for the sake of others. The Philippians are part of a Roman colony. And Paul on trial here, he's actually not just on trial for himself, but in a sense, Christianity is on trial. And Paul is willing to go to get a fair hearing before the courts in Rome. Listen, that is going to benefit the Philippian Christians in an amazing way. Incredible way. But actually, Paul considers every circumstance an opportunity to both defend and to confirm the gospel. And listen, this helps brothers and sisters everywhere. We could argue that actually 
still going on, helping us even today, because Paul is willing, was willing to stand up for the gospel, willing to make his stand even before the courts for the sake of Jesus Christ. This is love, putting other people before our own needs. But Christian love is not something that we can just simply work up. This is something that God does in you and through you. So in verse 8, Paul says, he says, He longs for my friends with the affection in Jesus Christ. You say that? With, did you, as you look around, and, and maybe folks that maybe they haven't seen for what, can you, you remember it with the affection of Jesus Christ? And Paul I think the key, this is not Paul's love through Jesus. This is Jesus' love through Paul. In fact, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 5, verse 5 goes on to give us a little bit more detail in this. It says, hope does not put you to shame because God's love has been poured into your hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The idea of a big jug full of love and God, the Spirit is pouring it into our hearts. Filled with the love because we're filled with the Holy Spirit. It's the work of the Spirit within our lives. And you look and you think, you know, I just could not possibly love him. Just not a hope after... Or as for her, she just, oh, she annoys me so much. How could I possibly love her? And Paul would say, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Allow the Holy Spirit to pour love into your heart. It comes from Him. It is through Him. And if you have this deep-hearted love, there should be evidence of it. It should be shown in our concern, our love for one another, the willingness just to forgive one another. Story is told of a radio presenter who had sort of one of these phone-in shows, and it's sort of like a quiz-type thing, so the guy phones in, and the presenter of the show says, oh, tell us a little bit about yourself, as they do. Actually, tell us some of the blunders that your wife has made. And the guy says, I can't, I can't remember any, to be honest. He says, oh, come on, of course you can remember something, the, 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 presenter, the presenter says, and the guy says, not really. I love my wife really much. And I just don't remember things like that. That's love. First Corinthians 13 love. Love keeps no record of wrongs. It's not holding grudges. It's not remembering and keeping a list of things that someone's done to us or our wife has done to us or our husband has done to us. It's loving unconditionally as Christ his first love us. And then what Paul is saying here is taking it one step further. Because Paul is saying that Christians practice this type of love, this deep love, always experience joy. It's quite a statement. <laughs> always experience joy because love and joy come from the same place. They come from the Holy Spirit. These are the fruits of the Spirit at work in our lives. The third thing, verse 8 to 11, Paul says, I have you in my prayers. And Paul finds joy in the memory of his friends and in the growing love for them, 
but he also found joy in remembering them in prayer. And perhaps the deepest Christian fellowship and joy that we can experience is when we spend life together praying for and with others. Now, prayer, of course, is talking to God. It's a natural thing to talk to Him about our specific problems, about the difficulties that we face, and it's normal to pray for practical needs. So it's quite okay to pray for Auntie Winnie's sore toe. It's okay to pray that, that Thomas will find a new job or that Francisco, whoever that is, would, would get straight A's in her exams. The problem is that's where we often stop. We never quite get any further than, further than that. And it's so important that we keep going. Surely it is so much more important that we pray that we would grow in love, in understanding, in, in discernment, and, and holiness. And Paul's prayer here is a prayer for maturity. Do you know where it begins? With love. Because if we get love right... Actually, a lot of the other things will simply take care of themselves. They will simply follow on for that. And he prays that they might experience abounding love and discerning love. Now, it's not that these Philippians are horrible people. They're not as if they're, they're loveless in any way at all. But simply, and that certainly is a great deal of evidence to, to suggest that they both were filled with love for Paul and also for other people. But Paul prays that their, their love might grow in knowledge and in all discernment. Now, love, of course, is more than just some sort of gushy, gooey sort of feeling. It's a desire to actively seek out the best in others. So love for a believer is intimately bound up with the will of God and with the gospel the thing is that we will not know how to do good to or for other people if we don't actually know what's really good for them. Only God knows that. So Paul's prayer is that they may know the mind of God so that they may love more intelligently. Intelligent, discerning love is the mark of maturity in the Christian life. You know, when a child learns to speak, they start, their vocabulary is not great, really. So, remember Rosie, when she was just beginning, every four-legged animal is a cat. We just happen to have cats in the house, so every four-legged animal is a cat. But actually, very soon, there suddenly were cows and goats and sheep and, and, and spiders. No, no spiders. And, and, and very quickly, they mature. Very quick, took a while, took a while. <laughs> but very quickly they mature and grow. Or you show a young lad about three or four a car. Every car, Northern Ireland, car, okay? Every car looks the same to it. Maybe they know the different colors. By the time they are teenagers, they know they make the model, the speed. They know exactly which car they want to be driving. Trouble is, they can't afford it, but they know exactly what they want as they mature. Listen, as Christians... We need to be growing and maturing in knowledge. As we become more mature, this is discerning. Love grows as well, and it grows because of our understanding of God, what He's doing in our world. So Paul prays that they might have this mature 
character. It's a great prayer to be praying for your friends, for your family, that they might have this mature character. And he says, sincere and without offense. Now, a good translation of this Greek word for sincere is to be tested by sunlight. In, in other words, the sincere Christian is not afraid to stand in the light. And Paul is praying for his friends that they may have this kind of character that is able to be exposed to the light, that they're not ashamed to be able to stand in the presence of God, that in fact, that they are able to pass the test. And Paul goes on in verses 10, in verse 10 to say, without offense till the day of Christ. And what this means is that we live our lives not just for ourselves, but actually we think about what effect it will have on other people. That are we doing and the things that we're saying, is it causing other people to stumble? And there, I guess there are two good tests for us to follow as we exercise this spiritual discernment, as we grow in maturity in this whole area of discernment. The first question I would suggest we ask ourselves, will what I'm doing, will what I'm saying, is this going to cause other people to stumble and fall? If it is, you don't do it. So will it cause other people to stumble and fall? The second great test as you grow in discernment is what I am doing, what I am saying, what I am thinking. Will, it, will I feel ashamed if I, was, if I was to stand before Jesus right now? If Jesus Christ was to return right now and I stood before him, what I'm doing, saying, or thinking, would I be ashamed to stand before him? And we grow in discernment. We grow, and Paul says, I pray for my friends and that they would grow in this level of discernment to understand, to grow in maturity. But Paul also praying that they may grow in their maturity in their service of God as well. And he wants them to be filled and fruitful. He's not just interested in simple church activities, but this growing in the kind of spiritual fruit that, that, that we produce, that we may have this fellowship in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the great illustrations for this, again, are the words of Jesus when he talks about the vine and the branches in John chapter 15. Jesus says, remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. And this idea of being so connected, so rooted, so grafted into the Lord Jesus Christ that everything that we get, our sustenance, our energy, everything that we do comes from, from him. And the fruits that are produced surely are the fruits of the Spirit, Christian character, holiness, praise, worship, just winning other people for Jesus. But actually we cannot, we cannot produce these things in our own effort or by our own strength. Instead, we do it by abiding in Christ, by being so connected into Christ. It comes through Him, through relationship, through connection, through true devotion to Him. It's from Him. We have a responsibility in this, of course, a responsibility as we, as we, we, we practice devotion, as we practice and, and just what it is to live as godly people in our time, in our workplace, wherever we are. We have a responsibility, but ultimately this is God's work through us, but it only comes when we are 
rooted and grounded into the Lord Jesus Christ. Swiss theologian Godet says, to abide in Jesus expresses the continual act by which the Christian sets aside everything which he has derived from his own wisdom, strength, and merit to draw all from Christ. As we do this, we need to learn the difference between spiritual fruit and sort of human religious activity. Because what we do in our own strength, it doesn't work well, does it? But actually what it tends to, it just tends to take us into boastful pride. But spiritual fruit brings glory to God. And isn't it such a beautiful thing, so wonderful that no human could possibly ever begin to claim credit for it, and the glory must go to God. Is that the sort of prayer that you're praying? Only for yourself, but also for others? That you would grow in this, that you'd be so connected, abiding in Christ, that you're maturing in discernment, maturing in fruitfulness. This is what Paul says, but guys, I'm praying this for you, that you see such growth, such maturity within your lives. I wonder, are you able to echo Paul's words here and really mean them? I have you. I have you in my mind. Can you say that for your friends here? For the Friends, maybe in other churches around the city or in this nation or in the nations, I have you in my mind. And then go deeper, I have you in my heart. I have you in my prayers. And this kind of fellowship, this deep love connection, this single-mindedness, Paul says, will produce joy. As you mature in love, you can learn that, that circumstances don't have to rob you of joy if you're willing to allow these circumstances to strengthen the fellowship of the gospel to pull us together rather than push us apart. So I wonder what areas you feel weak in. What areas do you need God's Spirit to come and just shine a light on to, to allow you just to mature, to develop in those areas. You just forget people. You just forget about them. You struggle just to, to really have that, those, that real deep love, those heart connections with people. What about your prayer life? Are you praying these sort of mature prayers? Yeah, we pray for, for needs, but, but actually the greatest need each one of us have is to grow in maturity in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are a church that, pray, we become just full of mature Christians growing each at different levels as we grow. I mean, it doesn't happen overnight. This is a process as we, as we just grow in our devotion, our love, our, our passion for God, as we, we center ourselves in Christ, as we, as we are rooted and ground into Christ. But out of that, become mature Christians who love each other, who serve God. Out of that comes joy in Christ. Let's just stand together.